much for joining us today on episode number 257 of the Real Life Runners podcast. So many runners are limiting themselves without even realizing it. In races of nearly every distance, there are clusters of runners finishing around the even numbers. Half marathoners often cluster around two hours, but also around 150 and 210. Marathon runners often cluster around Boston qualifying times, as well as every other 10-minute mark. So why is it that arbitrary numbers allow runners to group up? If the numbers are really arbitrary, are you putting a limit on yourself just because you are not close enough to the next even number? This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, cool. So this is a very, very interesting topic that we're going to dive into today. And Kevin and I started talking about this idea the other day because he was talking to me about how so many high school runners are breaking the four-minute mile and how it's very interesting about how shoes are kind of playing a role in that and putting kids down closer to that four minute mark and how the closer you get to that even number, whatever that kind of milestone number is in your head, how that can possibly change how you look at your training and how you imagine what's possible for you and how hard you're willing to work to actually break through that barrier. If you seem remarkably close to a barrier, you're going to give it that last little like surge of energy to try and get to the other side of the barrier, whatever it is. Yeah, which is so interesting, right? So I just kind of started thinking about it, and what I realized is that so many runners are actually limiting themselves without even realizing it because maybe they're not close to that round number. Yes. Right? Yeah, like if you're um if your your PR say in a five K is thirty minutes and ten seconds, you're gonna work pretty hard to break thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. But if you're running like thirty three minutes, what what number are you aiming for? Yeah, and it, it still might be under thirty, right? But some people might perceive their distance from like from where they are to that next round number as too far. As too far. Like right? the, the goal is too big. Yeah. And we've talked about that in, in goal setting before. Mm-hmm. If the goal gets so big that you're like, I don't really think that's an achievable gap for yeah. me to cover there. How am I doing it? The cl- the smaller that gap is, the more you're like, oh, well, if I just give a little bit more, if I focus a little more on my training, if I cut back on this, like whatever it is, mm-hmm. you're almost willing to like take a temporary sacrifice because you're so close to the thing. Yeah. And I think that that makes it just so interesting to actually look at the mental aspect of running here, right? And how what we decide is possible or might be possible for us plays such a huge role on what we're actually able to and what we decide to put into the training to try to like break through those numbers, right? Yeah. If you don't think something's possible, you're Mm -hmm. really not going to put the training forth into doing the thing because it's just not possible. So why would I try? Yeah. And I think that what happens, you know, is that a lot of people limit themselves without even realizing it, which can lead to so much frustration. It can lead to lack of progress. It can lead to decreased motivation, right? Because they just look at their number, whatever that number is. So, you know, you just mentioned a 5k, right? So in their head, if they're running a 33 minute 5k, maybe that's too far away from 30, for them to really work hard to try to break 30. But for other people, it might not be, right? Other people might see it as still a possibility. But it's, again, it's what are you determining to be possible for you? And it's very interesting that the closer you get to those numbers, it seems like more people tend to kind of cluster around those numbers. So can you kind of talk about what a cluster is when, we, when we're when we talking about that through this I, episode? So I think that this was something I read in, in a running book. I, I'm pretty confident that it was um, Endure by... Um, Hutchinson? Hutchinson. Thank you, Alex Hutchinson. Um, where he said that they had done research on marathons and half marathons, and there were a lot more runners that finished at every, like, 10-minute interval, whether it was like three hours or 310 or 320, there were a lot more runners that finished very, very close to three hours than who finished very, very close to like 303. It was very, there was 
almost like if you stood at the finish line of a marathon, runners came in a bigger wave every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then there was like a lull and then another big cluster of people. Because even probably within the race, as you're going along, you're like, all right, well, my goal was three and I seem to be falling off of that. So maybe I'll try and hold on and hit 310. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm falling off of that. Well, I guess maybe I'll hang on and hit 310. 20 mm-hmm. like people will drop back a whole 10 minutes mm-hmm. and then they saw because sm- our brain likes round numbers our brain right? likes round numbers they saw smaller waves at the five minute intervals because some people can cling to a five yeah but most people can't cling to like well my goal was i don't know let's say three hours but i'm off goal so maybe i'll try 302 mm-hmm. like people don't make that that thing they drop 10 minutes it's so interesting <laughs> right and do, do you remember um if it matters like the race distance matters I think the, and how much like the race systems played a role in that. So that's the the study was on marathons. Yeah. So the big clusters seem to show up every ten minutes. Mm-hmm. But I gotta think that the expansion of that is if you go down to like a five k, mm-hmm. you're probably kind of going off of every almost minute. I was gonna say every minute, right? So if your PR in a five k is like. 24 minutes and 59 seconds Mm -hmm. it seems like a long way to get to the next like magical number but if you're at 2501 you're like man i'm gonna work my butt off and Mm -hmm. get two seconds faster Mm -hmm. it seems like a bigger drop when your time starts with a different number yeah so it's it's such an interesting idea right and and concept and when i was really thinking about it i'm like what's the problem here right because like i'm like what does this have to do with us as real life runners and how can we use this concept to our benefit and and kind of what I was thinking is that essentially we as runners draw conclusions whether or not they're conscious or unconscious about what we are truly capable of and I think that the time on the clock whether we like to admit it or not makes us think a certain thing about our capability sure right because I think that we like I don't even think that we always realize that we're doing it but like you said if you're really close to that next breakthrough then you're going to be like, oh, well, I really want to hit that, right? And so you're going to maybe work harder. You're going to find another race that's sooner to try to do it again. Yep. Or you're going to be willing to start training a little bit differently to try to actually break through whatever that next uh, milestone is in your head. Yeah, the next milestone in your head, which is probably a number on a clock. Mm-hmm. You know, we started talking about 5Ks of the, this 30-minute barrier. Yeah. But some people go out for a 5K and they've already broken the 30-minute barrier. Mm-hmm they've got a a different completely arbitrary number in their head. Yeah, and I think that you're right, though. I think 5Ks are more like every minute, right? Because I know that for a while I was kind of stuck at – I remember I I ran multiple races at exactly 2717. (laughs) And I'm like, really? Exactly? I couldn't even PR by a second, you know, right? And so um, when I actually decided that I wanted to be a faster runner, I was like, okay, I just want to break 27 because I'm like 17 seconds. I feel like I can do that. Right. And just that opening myself up to that possibility and basically saying out loud that I had a desire to break 27 minutes, which prior to that, I don't really think I ever really had set a time goal in the 5k. I just kind of went out and ran the 5k and just assumed that I was a slow runner and all the things that we've already talked about. You went out, you ran the 5k. It was super uncomfortable. You figured that was pretty hard and I'm good. And I'm good. And I, I ran a 5k when I was pregnant. Didn't it was right before I found out I was pregnant, right? Or yes. it was right after I found out I was pregnant. And I ran it and I like had to stop and throw up yes, you did. right before the, the finish line. And then I crossed the finish line and got the same exact time as my previous 5K. You were so upset. You're like, I just didn't have to stop and throw up. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> um, I, think I, I think I did know that I was pregnant, but I was like just a few weeks pregnant at that time. But anyway, so going back to this idea of like, you know, what's possible and like, me saying, okay, I'm going to break 27, all of a sudden I trained for a 5K and I blew through it and I was like, I hit like the low 25s, right? you know, because just opening myself up to the possibility allowed me to train in a way that actually made me faster. Right. You said, let's, let's just get completely faster than this. You... Yes, under 27, but you open yourself to the possibility that you could be well under 27. I never thought that, though. I really just wanted to be 26-something. Right, but by opening yourself to 26-something, you were fine to say 20... Like, you never really said your goal was, like, 26-59. No. On on the other end of it, say, super incredibly fast humans, Mm -hmm. Elliot Kipchoge, sub-two-hour project, Mm -hmm. what did all the shirts say? 
all the shirts said one fifty nine fifty nine. Mm. That was the goal. Interesting. The goal was one fifty nine fifty nine. It was so focused on being just under. Yeah. He broke two, but just a teeny bit. Yeah. Because that was the goal. That was the goal. The goal wasn't let's be the fastest human ever and just blow the number out of it. All the shirts said one fifty nine fifty nine. That yeah. was that was where the mental focus was. Yeah. So I, that's so interesting, right? So it's again, it's where where are we bringing our attention? Yes. And and going back to how we decide ahead of time what we're going to be capable of, whether or not we actually realize it. And I think there's some underlying reasons that we do this, and we want to kind of dive into a couple of those now because I think that it's really important for us to just start to bring some of awareness to these beliefs that could be holding you back without even realizing it, right? So one of the things that I think ends up holding people back is the idea that the time on the clock determines my level of belief in my capabilities, right? So if there's a certain time on the clock, I'm going to believe that maybe I am more capable, which which proves why people tend to cluster around a certain even number, right? Okay. Like, so if I'm close to that certain time, I might be capable of it, right? You start to kind of open yourself up to that possibility of it. Okay, I see what you're saying. Versus if you perceive that you're too far away, then you might think, oh, I'm not even capable of that. Right. So it's the idea of the closer I get to the thing, the easier it is for me to work really hard for that thing. But I don't even think that that's what we're thinking, right? Like it's not that it makes it easier to work really hard, which it does, right? But I think that the underlying belief is that, oh, maybe I could. Yeah. Right, it, it so, opens the possibility that it, that this thing could happen, that it could actually happen, that I might actually be capable of that. Right, and so the closer your time is to whatever that next number is, I think that that kind of opens you up to, oh well, maybe I could. <laughs> it's, it's it's funny looking back, like having this discussion about. Um, the possibilities and I wish I had done a whole heck of a lot more thought work when I was, I don't know, say like 16 and 17 Wouldn't years that old. Wouldn't cool? Yeah. Because all of my high school PRs are like just shy of breaking things. Really? Like when I was a freshman, my PR for the mile was 501. My fastest half mile ever is two flat. My fastest uh, mile ever is 430 on the dot. Like I didn't ever get just under any of the round numbers. I hit and all did, of the round numbers. Did you ever want to? Like, did you ever think to do that? Um, my fastest 800 was too flat. I led for about 700 meters of the race. And then the uh, the other track captain passed me, like slingshot off me and, mm-hmm. and outkicked me down the final straightaway oh. to run 159. Um, he's really great. He's awesome. Has cute kids now. Um, but it was not cool. And I hate the half mile. It's just nothing but two minutes of just straight excruciating pain. So no, <laughs> I had no desire to go back and try and break two minutes. I was like, well. Because you didn't like that race distance. Oh, God, it was so painful. It's yeah. literally just two minutes of torture. It's like sprint for a lap. And now do it again, but don't slow down. Mm-hmm. It's brutal. It is. So I had no desire. I was like, well, apparently my PR in the in the half mile is going to be too flat. The mile I wanted, mm-hmm. but 430 was as fast as I got. Like I kept working at it all season long. I just never quite got under. Yeah. But I think that that's, you know, that plays a role too, right? Is the possibility is is one side of the coin and then the other is the desire. Is the desire. Yeah. Like I have no desire to do that again. <laughs> right? Like the, you've talked about that before too, about how... Was it last? I think it was last year. You were considering trying to PR in your mile. Last year, I don't know. the The last three years, time has gotten blurry, so yeah. I'm not sure when it was. I think but it was last year, but whenever <laughs> it was, and then you like did a couple of workouts, and you're like, nope, nope. I know the I know the workouts that I would need to do to prepare for this, and yeah. well, it may be physical physically possible. It might be entertaining to try and like <laughs> follow the journey of Kevin tries to run as fast as he did when he was 17. Nope, that that is a level of pain that I don't want to go for. Yeah, and and that's okay, right? Like you're allowed to make that choice. Um, but I think that that's just very interesting. That like there does seem to be these clusters, and I think that the closer you are to that number and that time on the clock, will then open you up to a new belief of what you're capable of. Hundred percent. Yeah. The next thing I think is kind of the un- one of the underlying beliefs that causes this problem of us limiting ourselves without even realizing it is the idea that our past determines what is possible in the future. Which is... Right, well, I've never done that before. So that, therefore, it's probably not possible. Yeah, but you've never done a lot of things before. Like, that's that's the biggest problem with this belief is... Yeah. 
pretty much anything cool that you've ever done in your life you hadn't done before you did it yeah well and the human race too like right. if, if you think about it like if this were true like we never would have progressed as humans we'd also be living in caves yes right space travel would have never happened because we've never done it before that's so. a big jump from living in caves to space travel but all of those steps along the way yeah. are all things that we hadn't done before absolutely so to bring it back to running, we all know that Roger Bannister was the first person that broke four minutes in the mile. And so he obviously believed that this was possible, right? And he was working for a long time to try to break through this point. And at that time, there were people that literally believed that if you, you it was physically impossible for a human to do this, right? But he kept working for it. And then he ended up doing it. And that changed the way that people looked at running. People started to look at it because now someone had done it. And so all of a sudden that had opened it up to a new possibility. Yeah, it, it opened the possibility. Then there were new races of like, okay, well, if this group of guys, because he had his whole training team with him over in Cambridge, and there were several of them that all came in very, very close to four also. Mm-hmm. And then you got a guy coming out of Australia. It's like, well, let's see if we can get this really fast guy out of Australia to run against the really fast guy in in England. Mm -hmm. And they can both break four minutes now. And it just, it made races more interesting because it was like, well, if that guy could do it, maybe let's see what people from around the world. Now you got, let's roll into the Olympics and see how many phenomenal runners we can put together. Now you just have to break four minutes. Shoot, these days, if you can't break four, you don't even qualify for NCAA championships. Which is so crazy. Like, you don't get out of your region because you didn't break four minutes in the mile. Right, but at one time, that seemed to be impossible to do. And for a while, the, the fastest mile was stuck at like 420. Mm-hmm. Like, which, again, was an arbitrary number. Right, right. But like, it, it's like, it's crazy to me how like when one person does something then all of a sudden everybody wants to do that. or be, And I think that so much of that is because people are like, oh, it is possible, yes. right? Which just t- takes us back to that original belief that we talked about that's you know kind of the overarching thing that we want to break down during this episode, which is that we limit ourselves consciously or unconsciously based on an arbitrary limit that we place on things just because maybe someone has never done that before, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's someone else or maybe it's just that we haven't done that before yes both of those things fall in nicely of you know sometimes the number on the clock if we're close to that next number we can get a little extra drive to get there sometimes it's another person Mm -hmm. where it's like oh i wish i was as fast as that person but the gap between my speed and that person's speed seems so far that Mm -hmm. it's difficult for me to imagine covering that gap yeah but it's like if you feel like you're close enough in ability to that person and that person's done it I feel like it also makes you feel like, well, if that person's done it, then I should be able to do then that. Then I should be able to do that. Right? Like, I can I can clearly figure out, I can follow the path they did, I can follow a path similar to them that might work better for me, mm-hmm. and then I can, I can achieve those results. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that it's also an interesting thing to kind of look at this idea and this belief that the number on the clock determines what kind of runner I am. Right, because I think that this is one of those underlying beliefs that hold us back without us even realizing it. Like we say that the number on the clock doesn't matter, but in reality, we a lot of people, I shouldn't say we, but like there's a lot of people out there that are like, Well, I'm you know, they take their number on the clock and they attach a meaning to it. Right. And they say, Well, that number on the clock means that I'm a slow runner or I'm a good runner, I'm a bad runner, whatever it is, there's some sort of meaning that they attach to that number on the clock. The- I've heard people actually just name themselves, and these are not usually the fastest of runners is the mm-hmm. best part. Like, the faster runners get, they don't name themselves as, oh, I'm a 217 marathon runner. Yeah. I'm a 212 marathon. That's not how they, like, go out and introduce themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's, but you've heard other people? But as it slides back, oh, I'm a 330 marathon, or I'm a 325 marathon. You've heard people introduce themselves that way? Like in just casual conversation, yeah. where they'll be like, "Oh, I've got a race coming up." Oh, I the last time I ran this race, and they're so quick to throw a PR out there yeah. because that's how they've labeled themselves as in their mind. Of mm-hmm. oh, half marathon's coming up. I've run it before in this. Not necessarily saying I am this, but I've got a half marathon coming up. Last time I did it in this. Even if you you're just putting that out there. You're like, I know the time doesn't really matter. I've been training for this one. I'm just going to go out and give up my best. But if you keep bringing up and saying over and over again, it's like trying to push that thing away really hard. The mm-hmm. harder you push away, it's not really going. Saying the time doesn't matter. No, no, no. The time really doesn't matter to me. It, it does. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like the more you try and insist that it doesn't matter, 
sometimes you're clinging even harder to it. That can be true. And I, again, I think it's because we attach a meaning to it, right? So like, especially when it's a number that we've worked hard to achieve, people take that number and they make it mean that they're a good runner or that means that they've worked hard and they've earned this thing, right? They've earned that number. And I think that this can be dangerous because like, it can't be true that that number determines something about who you are as a runner, right? Because that number is completely relative. It can change based on who you're actually surrounded with. Like when I first started running, I like I've told you guys before, I always labeled myself as a slow runner because in high school, I was kind of coming in towards the end of the pack of like, you know, we had to do our one mile run. God forbid we actually had to do a two mile run during volleyball. <laughs> Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. Um, you know, I was like, you know, near the, the end of the pack and um, just kind of squeaking in under the time limit that my coach wanted us to come in. But that that's, she had arbitrarily made that up. That she had arbitrarily <laughs> picked, right. Um, and so I always thought I was slower. But then I joined a group, like a running group, and I ended up being one of the faster runners in that group. And people were looking at me as one of the faster runners. But if I were in another group, I might be one of the slower runners. Like it just depends on who you surround yourself with. So you can't really say like, I am a fast runner or I am a good runner. I'm a bad runner. Like according to who, like what determines whether or not you're fast or slow or good or bad? Like, how do you actually define that? Uh, Depending on the competitiveness of the city that you live in. Like here we're in South Florida and it's the middle of the summer. You go outside, you see anybody running, they're insane because it's a bajillion degrees outside. So there's just not that many people out running in the middle of the day. If we move to Flagstaff, Arizona, you see anybody out running, there's a chance they're an Olympian. Mm-hmm. Like where you are in the country might substantially affect how you would, you know, look relative to the people running around you. Yeah, for sure. And then also what that time means, right? Like, and I think that this is where we get so much of it wrong. Like we want to take that number and then attach some sort of meaning or label to it. Like that means that I'm a good runner. That means this about me. That means that about me. But is it more important for us to label ourselves and like make that number mean something? Or is it just important? Is it more important for us to just kind of continue to progress forward based on where we are? Yeah. I mean, you know, we always come down to that, the idea that labels are rarely going to be a good thing. I mean, I think they can be helpful sometimes, but it depends on what we do with them. Yeah, but if you think that a time on a clock then makes you a good runner, then when you can't hit that time on the clock anymore, or an injury comes up, or just something gets in the way in life and you get super busy, and that that number on the clock is much more difficult to reach, possibly out of reach because Mm -hmm. of the season of your life you're like, oh, well, now I guess I'm a bad runner. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense, right. Well, and that's it's that's it exactly, right? Like, what does it mean to be a fast runner? What does it mean to be a good runner? Like, who gets to make that definition? And the answer is always you, right? Like, you get to make that oh, definition. I thought it was WADA. Who? The anti-doping, worldwide anti-doping. I thought they got to determine. Oh, who they were, got to determine it? They get to determine who the good people and the bad people are. <laughs> they drug test you for it. Yeah, but I think that, like, it's so interesting because even if you're the one that chooses it and you realize that you're the one choosing it and kind of making this up, like, exactly what you just said, but then if you don't hit that number, maybe you have a bad race and it's just you don't hit the number that you wanted to hit. Because it was a bad race. And what do you... Now you're a bad runner because you had a bad race. Right, but it's, again, <laughs> like, what? what is all the, are all these meanings that you're attaching to all of these numbers? It's somehow you're attaching morals to a number on a watch. Yeah. Which it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but people do it all the time. And so they say, oh, no, no, the number doesn't mean much to me. But at the same time... It does make sense, though. There's a number in the back of their head. Yeah. You can try to detach from it, but you have to accept that it is still there. That it, you can't completely, in the, the sport of running, it's hard to completely eliminate any attachment to a number. Yeah. We're, we're runner... Like, as runners, I think we're very number-focused people. Even the runners who are like, no, 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 I try and, and not be data-driven. I, I, I run without a watch. I just run for freedom. Okay, cool. But at some point... If you ever go into a race, there's going to be a giant clock at the finish line. Like, unless you plan on, like, closing your eyes and just la 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 as I cross the finish line, there's going to be a number. So it's pretty hard to ignore every possible number when out running. 
Right. And that's not what we're saying here. You know, like that's not what we're telling you guys to do. We're not telling you that the number is completely irrelevant. We're telling you that the number is arbitrary, right? Like that you get to decide what numbers are important to you. You get to decide what those numbers mean. And it's just important. Like the whole, our whole goal here is really trying to just kind of bring your awareness to this, right? Because whether you realize it or not, a lot of us put meaning on a number on a clock, whether it's, you know, that we make it mean something about us as a runner, or does it actually mean that we're making that number or our proximity to the next number? Does that, are we making that mean that we are capable or not capable or possible or impossible? Like, you know, I think that that's really what we want to kind of dive into here and, and help people become aware of. Like, is there some sort of hidden limit that you're placing on yourself that you might not even realize is there? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is these numbers really are arbitrary. And so you get to decide what it is that they mean to you and which numbers you put more importance on. Just because the number ends in a zero doesn't mean that that has to be the most important number to you. Yeah, exactly. So Instead of allowing these hidden or allowing these numbers to either consciously or unconsciously drive and determine what you think you're capable of, we would suggest that you instead decide what kind of runner that you want to be and what numbers are important to you. And then you kind of have to make your plan from that place because that's really what running is all about. Running is a way that we can challenge ourselves. A lot of us, that's, you know, one of the big things when I like to talk to people about why they run or why they're a runner, you know, they say like, oh, it makes me feel really good physically. It's a way to clear my head. It's a way for me to challenge myself. I like to see what I'm capable of. And that's really what we're trying to break down here is like showing you that, you might be capable of even more, but for some reason you have your number, like your your mind set on this arbitrary round number. Mm -hmm. So just because you're not close enough, quote unquote, close enough to that number, does that make you more or less capable of actually breaking through that number altogether? Yeah. Yeah. So the problem is, is that people look at the number on a clock that they have hit in a race before, and they think that that determines what they're capable of they they go backwards they're like okay well i've done this so that's what i can do mm-hmm. instead of saying i i'm going to do this that's what i'm going to be capable of that's what i am capable of and then train from that they look backwards you're like well i've done that so apparently that's that's my limit right and i can probably get a little bit better maybe a little bit right like and i think that that's that's the difference between some people and other people like there are some people that take those past results and are like well i'd like to improve on that a little bit and then there are other people that are like yeah that was cool but like my goal is way over there and they believe that they're capable of way more than they've actually been able to accomplish so far. Yeah, some people would like to make a small incremental improvement mm-hmm. and other people are like, yes, I'd like to stack all of these incremental improvements until my time is way down the road. Which is fantastic, right? Because when people assume that their results determine what they're capable of, that often leads to a lack of progress because they aren't really willing to put in the work because they just think, well, this is the type of runner that I am, right? Like I'm a 30 minute 5k runner or I'm a 31 minute 5k runner or I'm a, um, you know, 230 half marathon or whatever that is. And if you just assume that that result that you've already achieved determines what you're actually capable of, then how hard are you going to be willing to put in the work that is actually going to lead to improvement? So when you say that the time on the clock or your results determine your capability, then you're not going to train in a way that's actually going to lead to improvement. Yeah, and there's a difference between training at your current level and training above your level. Yes. Like, Oh, I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah. Like this is a subtle distinction here is you don't want to be like, okay, well I currently run a 5k in 30 minutes. I'd like to run a 5k in 25 minutes. So I'm going to do all of my workouts as though I am currently a 25 minute 5k runner. Don't do that. That is, that is a good setup to be burned out and injured quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and just have be miserable the whole time, probably, well, also. A hundred percent. But there's a difference in the way that you train and, the, and also in what you believe. Yes. So you your thoughts, your mind, your beliefs about this needs to say, 
I'm a 25 minute 5k runner, even though your current training, your efforts, what you're putting into it is kind of based off of your relatively, your current PR, Mm -hmm. maybe a little incremental improvement on that. On occasion, you get yourself a little spicier and down there a little faster, but spicier, uh a little spicier, (laughs) but you can't just blow things out of the water and be like, all right, I'm just going to run everything. Like I am currently a 25 minute 5k runner because that's, that's not going to go well. Right. But like you said, you decide ahead of time. I am a 25-minute 5K runner. You choose that identity ahead of time based on whatever your goal is, right? And, like, this is, to me, like owning a dog, like being a good dog owner, right? Like, when I was considering getting a dog, and those of you that follow me on Instagram, I did, like, a little reel about this the other day when I was out on a walk with our dog um, that actually made me think about this. And it's like I had to decide ahead of time, before I even got a dog, that I wanted to be a good dog owner and actually – take on that identity before I even got the dog. Like I had to research what kind of dog I wanted. I had to research what it was like to train a dog. And then I had to decide if I was willing to put in the time and effort to do that. Right, because I knew I didn't want to just have a dog. Like I wanted to have a well-behaved dog. I wanted to have a dog that was trained and that, you know, the kind of dog that I wanted to have. And so I had to take on that identity and know exactly what I wanted it to look like in my head Granted, like sometimes we come up with these ideas in our head and and reality doesn't always match up to that and that's okay. But again, when I was deciding ahead of time, I was then working from that place of like, I am a good dog owner and I want to have a good dog. And so that made me more willing to put in the time and the effort to actually train the dog and actually get that result that I wanted, which is a well-trained dog. Right. I did not put in the time and effort to well, you were also working train more. myself to be a good dog owner. It's because you didn't really want a dog. My goal was to be a, a parent of happy girls and a happy wife, a, a husband to a happy wife. And so so we have a dog now. So you said yes to, so I said yes to, to the a dog. dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So after you decide ahead of time what kind of runner that you want to be, step two is to really understand that that number is just a number. It's a data point. And it's good to have a goal, right? Like this is why what I said earlier, yes, the number is arbitrary, but that doesn't mean it's irrelevant. Like the number can still be relevant, but it's all based on what you're making that mean. Because as humans, we just naturally attach meanings to certain things. And as runners, that's often a number, right? Where, like we talked about earlier. I really like that line. The numbers are arbitrary, but not irrelevant. Yeah. And it's, I think it's really important because the meanings that we attach to these numbers are different for different people, right? And the problem when we attach a meaning to a number, it often makes us feel like we're not enough, right? Like we don't believe in our ability to improve. Like we're stuck here. Like there's a lot of people that have imposter syndrome around certain numbers. Like I don't believe that I'm, I'm, I'm not a sub two hour, half marathon or I'm not a sub four hour marathon or like, that's just not, that's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that it's so interesting because we put these meanings on it and then we allow that to determine what we're capable of. When in reality, that number is just a number and it's all about what you decide that that number means. So for some people, that number can mean a really good thing. It could be a really motivating thing, right? Like that, I really want to get under two hours for the half marathon and that could be something that's super motivating. And for someone else that might feel really, really stressful. And yes. so for them, that is not a good goal for them, right? Because it, there's just too much like stress and strain surrounding that number yeah the number then becomes just super pressure and then they can't reach it because it 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 seems too painful to get there yeah and you look at like the differences that people attach to certain things like a sub two hour half marathon for me versus a sub two hour half marathon for you are completely different things like the you are so far under two hours that you're like well yeah of course my half marathon would be under two hours like you're going to be so far under two hours whereas i had to work to get under that mark so that to to break two hours in the half marathon meant a lot more to me than it did to you right but all these numbers they they mean different things to people so to you you know, I go out and I say like 130 for a half marathon. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, that's a number that I'm not, I'm not going to achieve. Yeah. Like you just put that as that's not something I achieve. Right. Whereas 
I then, I have numbers that would be that, you know, oh, under 110. Well, that's not something that I could achieve. Like, but you run under 111. Yeah, but I see, I see finishing times coming out of like just one oh something seems mm-hmm. crazy to me. And again, it's purely arbitrary, but it, because it's the next zero, mm-hmm. like it's the next thing. And I see people putting up like one oh seven, and I'm like, wow, that's crazy pants. And people are finishing under sixty, and I'm like, well, that's just ludicrous. But there are plenty of people out there doing it. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are running like 61 that are chasing the people that are running 59. And they're like, all right, well, I got to work in order to get to that. Yeah. Everybody's got a number. Mm-hmm. And so, but what 59 minutes for a half marathon means to somebody who's running 201, like they don't even think about 59 minutes because right. it doesn't even make any sense. But just for someone who's running 101, 59 minutes, that's a number that you could, that's something you're going to try and wrap your head around. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, so interesting too because they don't think about two hours either right those right? people never even consider two hours for a half right marathon. because that's just a given yes. right like it's just a given that you're going to be that fast like that's for you like you would never even like the the two hour mark would never even cross your mind because you're just so much faster than that no the two hour mark totally crossed my mind i just tried to run 100 miles from key largo to key west yeah that was the pace i was aiming for mm-hmm. essentially was trying to run roughly a little bit under four hours every time I hit a marathon. Yeah. So, and I kind of, I rounded for convenience sake. So I was trying to hit 25 miles roughly every four hours. Right. But that, so that was a totally different type of goal though, right? Like your goal for that race was not to be fast. Your right. goal for that race was to complete the distance. Yes. Right. And I think that this Relatively is- quickly. Yeah, but you have no idea what that is even like, right? Especially the first time you've ever done anything like that. Right. So it, with, that's, a, that's a whole separate that's podcast. A whole we had a whole podcast on right. that. So, but going back to the meaning that we attach, like what is the definition of fast? And essentially you get to decide, right? You get to decide what numbers are relevant to you. So if there is a time on the clock that is relevant to you, then let it be there, right? We're not telling you that it's bad to have a goal. We're not telling you that all of these numbers are bad. Just be very aware of the meaning that you're attaching to it because if you achieve it and you make it mean something really good about you, then if you don't achieve it, then that just assume something bad about you yes and that's where it gets really messy yeah that's where it gets yes messy is a good good description of that i like the definition of fast well this is the glory of effort-based training yeah is if you and i both go out and we both say we're going to do some strides and we're going to do them fast (laughs) both of us are going to feel fast Mm -hmm. you both get that like cool sensation wind in your hair your legs are cranking yeah. you get that like slight burn there's strides so you stop before you're like super in pain but you just get that like little burn in your lungs a little bit fast mm-hmm. we both have the same sensation irrelevant how fast the two of us are doing the number on the clock is totally different both of us feel like we're going fast yeah and that's fun mm-hmm. and that's why Again, that's one of the powers of effort-based training, right? Is that like you don't have to assign a number on the clock. You have to tap into more of how your body's feeling. Yeah. And I mean, even on, we've got some workouts that I give to people on the team where I'm like, do this part of the workout at a level seven and this part at a level eight, and then do this part fast. And I don't even give a level to it. Yeah. So like, do this part fast mm-hmm. rather than try and like confine it of what level 10 is. And then Angie and I get into a discussion about what level 10 even means. <laughs> I just put the word fast on there and everybody can interpret that on their own. There you go. There you go. So after you decide what numbers are important to you, if any, right? Like, cause you don't have to have a number that's important to you, but, call. um, you know, you can choose what number is important to you. Understand that that number is just a number. It's just a data point. There doesn't have to be a meaning attached to that number. Then in step three, you essentially just get to choose what's possible for you. And you don't have to base it on what you've done in the past. And you don't have to base it on an arbitrary number that someone told you that you should run. And you don't have to base it on anything else other than what you decide you want to believe is possible. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, what do you want to believe is possible? Like honestly, like – and let it be impossible too. Like I think that that's a really – 
important thing that a lot of people don't want to let themselves do. They're like, well, I don't want to choose a goal that's too big. Why not? Right? Because <laughs> like, then if I don't get it, then I'm bad. And then I'm a bad runner. Again, the meaning that you're attaching There's to. There's the issue. Right? Like, it's the meaning that you attach. Let your goal be big. Like, let your goal feel a little impossible. Like, that's what you just did with this 100-mile race. Like, in a way that goal is relatively impossible. Like you were not sure if that was actually possible for you to achieve. And those are the only goals that I'm chasing anymore. Yeah. Like PRs are cool. I ran a bunch of them. We just went through. Here's the funny part. I don't remember my college PRs because I, I wasn't training very well. I thought well. your mile PR was in college. My two mile PR was in the middle of practice in college, but you never raced the two mile in college. I, we did a workout that opened with two miles on the track, oh. and then there was a whole lot more. Oh, I thought and, it was your one mile. And I happened to have PR'd in the two mile at the start of that workout and then threw up partway through it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I don't remember that. I remember high school because I yeah. loved running in high school. So those all those times meant something to me. I had them, like, written on the back of my door in my room, See, so they mattered more. And that's so interesting, right? Because, like, in high school, you were one of the top guys on the team and in college you were one of the bottom guys on the team you know and when i say top and bottom i specifically mean your time as compared to the other runners on the team right so your time meant something more to you in high school isn't that interesting yes based on like who you were surrounding yourself with because your times in college were probably in your head i know you've talked about this before is they were so far off what the top guys in the team were running so it didn't matter that they were impressive for me they were impressive relative to what i'd run a couple years before in high school they were not good enough compared to the people directly in my orbit yeah so the numbers were were quote-unquote bad numbers and depressing yes so so why would i why would i want to remember those numbers because they weren't even as good as like half you know the majority of the guys on the team Right. So then I got out of that and I started chasing PRs post-college of hitting like 10K road races, 5K road races, Uh which is a totally different realm. And then, you know, half marathon, marathon started chasing those things. Now I've moved into this thing where I'm like, "Eh, chasing PRs seems cool. And there's a couple that I still might want to go for. But I just want to see what else, like other cool things out there that I can do, like more interesting. That was the ultra of like, let's see if I can run a hundred miles. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, like, when you start opening yourself up to new possibilities and understanding that you get to choose what's possible for you, it can literally open up, like, entire new worlds of what running can be in your life, right? Because I think that so many people base their possibilities on some sort of external factor, right? Like, even just, like, what you said, like, well, this is the half marathon that's in my hometown, or this is the 5K that's here, right? There's some sort of external factor that you believe is possible for you or that you believe is limiting what you're capable of, right? And that can The race that's in your hometown? Yeah. Like, what about, okay, so... My my boss live used to live in Pittsburgh, so his marathon PR is on the Pittsburgh Marathon, which is like one of the hilliest courses. It's just it's nonstop up and down and up yeah. and down and up and down. Wait, what if he instead of living in Pittsburgh had lived in Sacramento mm-hmm. and his local marathon was the California International Marathon? Yeah, that's like one of the flattest courses in the country that hundreds and hundreds of people aim for that race to try and qualify for the Olympics in Boston every right, year. Right, right. Like, they use that race. I bet his PR would be different, mm-hmm. but also the number that he thinks is possible would be different because exactly. the local race happens to be a pancake. Yeah, and when he maybe ran that first one, if that time was faster, then maybe he would have been like, oh, I wonder how fast I can get, it, right? Like, it, it changes your realm of possibility, right? And I think that when we allow ourselves to determine our own capabilities based on these external factors, it can lead to so much dissatisfaction. It can lead to these arbitrary comparison traps, right? Like exactly what you just said, based on what? Based on geography, right? (laughs) Based on where the heck you live, right? And how many of us never are actually going to reach our full potential because we're limiting what we believe is possible for us based on 
external things. Almost always based on external things. Yeah. Like, you know, if if the setup around you is not conducive to you being able to train very well. We have clients that train in New York mm-hmm. and because they train in the city, they're stopping every block or two because they keep hitting lights. Yeah. That changes the way that you train. Mm-hmm. For some people, they might be naturally prone to gaining the advantages of essentially stop and go running. It's like nonstop fartlek training because it's a constant go and stop and go and stop. Yeah. For other people, maybe their body doesn't make the adaptation off of that. They'd be better with steady state, but that's the environment they have to train in. It's a totally crazy way of thinking about how the world around you puts some sort of, you know, limits and and then you confine yourself to, oh, well, I, I'm trapped because this is what I've got. Mm-hmm. But you can put whatever, like you can train however you want. You could change things up. You decide, all right, I don't like the hills outside. I don't like training at the altitude. I don't like training in the heat. I'm just always going to be on a treadmill. Control all the conditions. Yeah. It changes what you're capable of doing. Yeah. And like one of our friends, she loved running. And then a a couple of years ago, they moved to a new house. And I was like, oh, we were talking one day and she's like, I'm like, how's your running going? She's like, oh, I haven't run since we moved. And I'm like, well, why not? You know, you're just busy with, you know, the house and moving and stuff. She's like, no, like my neighborhood, we don't have sidewalks and it's not like a conducive place to run. Like it's kind of dangerous because the shoulder is not big enough. There's no sidewalks and like, shoot, there's all these excuses. And I'm like, okay, well, can you like drive to like a local park or something and go run? And she's like, I mean, yeah, but like, that's kind of a pain. And I'd rather just, you know, leave my front house, my front door and go out for a run. I'm like, well, I mean, I agree. Like it's a lot easier easier. to just run from home. But like, think about to us, um, when we went on vacation in Georgia, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like when we went to Georgia, we stayed in a cabin up in the mountains, which was beautiful, but trying to run from that cabin. I mean, the hills, the same thing. No sidewalks. The shoulders were very low. It was like mountainous roads, which is kind of dangerous, right? Like to to try to run on the side of those roads and cars are coming around these turns, it it can be a dangerous situation. That was the problem is it twisted and turned a lot too much with narrow roads. So to get from where our cabin was to a road that I felt safe on was like a mile and a half of kind of dangerousness. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that I, I see it, which reminded me of, um, kids we used to have on the cross country team that would go to their family's cabin up in North Carolina over the summer. Yeah. We had kids for years upon years, a variety of kids, which was amusing to me with how many kids we had on the team that had a cabin in North Carolina. Yeah. But they're like, oh, I can't, I can't run when I'm at the cabin. Like, because running is banned in North Carolina. Yeah, like, we used to, like, joke around about it. You're like, you're not allowed to run in North Carolina? Like, why? And then, then I saw their cabin one time, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, you just actually get run over by a car within five minutes. Like, mm. there's no way that you could run from where your cabin is. Right, and so that would mean, especially as a high school kid, they're not driving yet, some yep. of them, right? So their parents would then have to, like, drive them to a park or into town or into a different location, and it did make running a lot more inconvenient. It made running substantially more right? inconvenient. Right, so that external factor of just the location of the house placed a limitation on what the what they were able to do like and it's again it's one of those things that kind of tests you like how bad do you want it you know like how inconvenient are you willing or how inconvenienced are you willing to be in order to achieve this goal yes completely yeah yeah so it, it kind of brings back a little bit to um how you get to choose what you're actually capable of. You don't look at, at things in the past. Sometimes there's a little bit of environmental inconvenience that you might have to overcome. But to go back to sort of where we started of, you know, the, the high school boys breaking four minutes, it seems to be happening like crazy. Like every other week, there's another high school boy that goes sub four in the mile. Well, and you tell tell why, like about the shoes. So, so many people were like, well, obviously it's the shoes. Nike came out with their road racers and then they took the, the same plate of their racing road racing shoes and figured out how to put it into a track spike. And people were like, oh, well, the kids are just getting the shoes and doing it. And I was listening to a different podcast and they speculated that it wasn't necessarily the shoes that was putting them under four that the shoes were taking all of these runners who used to be like 407, 408 kind of guys and getting them down to like 401, 402. Yeah, so now they were really close to the next 
even number. Yes. So if you're like a 408 guy, you've probably worked, like if you're a senior in high school at 408, you probably were like 412 as a junior and you worked your butt off and knocked off another four seconds. So the idea of going from 408 to sub four seems ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But if the shoes could suddenly take you from 408 to 402, now you're like, oh man, now given the right conditions, given the, the right environment, maybe I just, I really grind it out. Now the possibility is so much closer. So you feel like you can do it. And yeah. so that was, that was their speculation is it's partially shoes, but it's not shoes that are necessarily covering the whole gap. It's shoes that are getting more kids closer to the border. Yeah. And that's, again, like when you are closer, all of a sudden you just start thinking differently, right? Like it wasn't their capabilities that changed. Like they just started thinking differently and training differently so that they could then achieve that next milestone. Yeah. The the gap between milestones was closer. It's hard to say I'm a sub four minute miler when you're sitting at 408. It's a lot easier to mentally tell yourself I'm a sub four minute miler when you're sitting at 401. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not that you're going to magically be able to pull it off because there's a lot of people who get through high school at 401 and yeah, they're done. But there's a lot of people that are going to be much more willing to put in some more work to try to get right under it. And so then you get a few more people. And it seems like, probably because of the emails that I, I tend to get, it seems like it's happening every other week, but it's it's also probably not. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> but it is happening more than it was in the past. This is very true. Yeah. So, you know, overall in this episode, what we really want you guys to take away is that the number doesn't really matter, but does it, right? <laughs> like going back to what I was saying before, yes, the number is arbitrary, but are they relevant to you? And if it helps to drive you, then it's a useful thing, right? But if you take that number and use it against yourself then it's not a useful thing. So we want you to just kind of ask yourself, you know, what is your number? Like, is there a distance that you're trying to hit? Is there a time on a clock that you're trying to hit? What is the number that you have in your head? And what are your thoughts about it? You know, are they helpful thoughts? Are they thoughts that are actually going to help you expand what you're capable of and choose new possibilities for yourself or are your thoughts about that number more negative are they you know are your thoughts actually holding you back from breaking through and achieving new possibilities because you think you're not actually capable of them yeah that's perfect it's a great summary of everything take a number that means something to you it doesn't have to end in a zero you get to choose the number but only choose that number and focus on it if you can actually have it with some positive thoughts and if you don't want a number don't take a number Right? Excellent like, choice. I think that's the other thing too. Like you don't have to have a number. Like if you, like you said before, if you're the kind of runner that just loves running and you love mental clarity and you love the journey, like you don't have to choose a number. You don't have to have a specific race goal if you don't want one. Like make running be something that's great for you. But if you do choose a number, make sure that that number is something that's going to help you actually improve and not hold you back. Excellent. All right, guys. So if you found this episode helpful, we would absolutely love it if you would share it with a friend. And also, if you haven't yet, leave us a review on iTunes. And actually, even if you have, you guys can leave us multiple reviews on iTunes, like on each episode. Like, so if there was like one takeaway from this episode and you went over to iTunes and left us a review, that would be absolutely awesome because those reviews actually do matter. They help people to see our podcast because if you leave a review or a rating, then Spotify or iTunes or whatever podcast player actually is like, oh, people like this. So they suggest our podcast to other people that might be searching for running podcasts or, or various other topics that we cover here in the show. So um, we would really, really appreciate it if you guys could help us reach new people just by leaving us a rating or review or by sharing the episode with a friend or on social media. You can take a screenshot and share it on Instagram um, and make sure you tag us if you do so that we can say thank you. And if you're not following us already... Follow us over on Instagram at Real Life Runners and welcome to all of our new followers. We've got a bunch of new followers over the last few weeks and we're so, so glad you guys are here. Um, if you want, send me a DM. I would love to say hi to you and learn a little bit more about you and your running journey um, and just connect with you more over there on Instagram. So as always, guys, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. This has been the Real Life Runners podcast, episode number 257. Now get out there and run your life.